Thank you for that song. I'd just like to challenge the theology of that for a second. You know, he was sent to be the Savior of the world, to give his life for mankind, and yet he taught that the majority of people uh, will not be in heaven. You can look at that yourself on your own time if you'd like in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Some might say, well, he did fail because uh, he came to this world. His own people rejected him. And today, the majority of people on earth reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In fact, some people would say that uh, uh, he was a loser. He, he was betrayed by one of his own men. He died on a cross between two criminals. And uh, the history of the church is one which is uh, spotted, if not covered, with uh, shame and scandals, even going on today. As you read the papers, I'm sure you see that uh, people call themselves Christians, and yet there's all kinds of things going on. And yet, uh, those of us who know the Lord Jesus know that he never does fail. We know that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we know he's a Savior of the world. And there's going to be a glorious uh, reunion one day in heaven where his name is going to be lifted up by all those who know him. And I hope uh, you'll be among them. I have the confidence, uh, not because I'm a good person or because I'm anything special, but because he's my Savior, I have the confidence I'll be there. Amen. And I'd just like to raise the question, you know, today in view of this song and the things we've been talking about here, why is it that uh, some people are going to heaven, but the majority, according to Jesus, are going to hell? Why is that? Why, if God would send his beloved son to this world, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, why isn't everybody going to heaven? Wouldn't that kind of make sense? If, if God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, why, why isn't everybody going? If, if, if not, at least, why aren't the majority going? You know, even I'd have trouble with saving, you know, some of these great villains of history. But, you know, of all things, it almost seems like some of those might even be in heaven. Probably the greatest, or one of the greatest, was a king named Manasseh, the most evil king in the line of Judah. And according to scriptures, uh, he came into a right relationship with God near the end of his life. You're going to meet him in heaven. There was that thief on the cross, kind of miscalled, because he wasn't a thief, he was a thief and a murderer. He's going to be in heaven. Jesus said to him, today you shall be with me in paradise. There's going to be some scoundrels there. And uh, we, have, we have some uh, probably here today. If we had time to really, you know, talk about who we really are, you know, take off the coats and ties and, you know, take off the makeup and talk about who, who really lives inside, um, there'd be some scoundrels. And there's also some people here uh, who, who look just the same as the rest and probably aren't going to be in heaven. You know, I, I don't know you very well, but a crowd this size, it's quite likely there's people here who don't know God in a personal sense. And so I just like to stop and ask, well, what's the deal here, you know? Now, some give an answer, which has never really satisfied me, that God just picks some and leaves the rest. And uh, maybe some of you hold that view, and if you do, um, 
I know you've got your scriptures, and I want to respect that uh, today. But uh, it's not—it's not my view. Uh, I, I think there's a there's a fundamental issue at stake here. And when I look what God did to save mankind, and when I look at the heart of God and the love of God, I am convinced that if it was if it was purely up to God, we'd all be going to heaven. Uh, if God had His way, any. I guess he could if he wanted to, but it kind of comes back to the whole issue of love and grace where he just doesn't want to force his love on anybody who doesn't want it. You know, he, he's, uh, he, he loves us too much, you could say. He respects us too much to force him, us to love him. He doesn't want that kind of... We'd be just robots, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? I remember when uh, we had our first child, Elizabeth, who's not here today. She would like to have been, but she... Had a friend going away, and when she was just really small, you know, maybe 12 months old, maybe 13 months old, I'm sure my wife could tell you. And every night, my wife would put her to bed in her little crib and other rooms so we could sleep. And um, every night, Jean would say to her, "You know, I love you," and she'd walk out the door. That was kind of the routine. She'd pray for her, you know, and I love you, and she'd walk out the door. One day, Jean was walking out the door. And Elizabeth said, are you? That's all, she, that's all the little child could come together with. That was, that was a big sentence for her. I, you. Well, you can just imagine what that did to her mother's heart. And, uh, but, you know, at the time I was working as electrical engineer for Hewlett Packard, I could have easily made just kind of a light relay thing that as Jean walks out the door, a little voice would come on and say, Mom, you're the greatest mom ever. I love you. You're You're wonderful. And every time Jean walked out, this little recording could play in a child's voice and say that. Wouldn't that be cool? No, it'd be weird, wouldn't it? Uh, and it would be meaningless because Jean would know that's just a recorder. That The child isn't saying it. The box is saying it. And, uh, you know, I think the same thing with, with God. Sure, he could, he could put you in a headlock, put your arm behind your back and make you say, I love God, I will follow you. That, that'd be nothing for him. And he isn't going to do that. What is he going to do? Well, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. and let's, let's explore this question in the scriptures. I'd like to just raise the question, you know, why is one person saved and another not? And I don't have all the answers on this, but I'd like to look at one man and, and see if we might learn something from him. We read about him in Acts chapter 10 in verse 1. There we read, Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Let's just pause there. Now you might think this guy was some kind of a religious nut or something. You know, he's he's doing all these things, but it starts off by saying that uh, he was a centurion. He was a Roman of an Italian uh, battalion. <laughs> uh, he was a foreigner stationed uh, in an outpost of the Roman Empire. You couldn't get too much further than Judea. And it wasn't a good posting, okay? This was like being put out in Afghanistan or something, all right? And you remember, this is before they had, you know, C-3s and, and all these things. He probably had to walk there to get there. And, and the, to get home, he'd probably have to walk home with a bunch of guys. And he's, a, he's, not a, 
He hasn't been to West Point, you know, the equivalent thereof. He's a centurion, which just means he was a foot soldier, worked his way up, and he now has 100 men reporting to him. He's a man's man. He's probably a pretty rough guy. He's a, he's a guy who's seen a lot of battle. You know, none of this computer stuff and shoot a ship over the horizon you can't even see, but hand-to-hand combat. That's what he was trained in. And he had to take care and be responsible for 100 men way out there in Judea. So you can imagine this guy's a pretty rough character. And he's, he's living there in Caesarea, a town near Jerusalem, Jewish, uh, Jewish area, but a, a Roman town named after Caesar. And, uh, you know, you could just imagine, you know, no love lost here between the Roman soldiers and the Jewish people. We see that in the, the Passion of Christ. The hatred these men had for the Lord is kind of a, a picture of what they just thought of the Jewish people in general. All right, you can just imagine the animosity and hatred that would develop as you're an occupation force in Judea for the Roman Empire, and you're the conquerors, and they're the despised scum. You just kind of have to keep them in line and get their taxes out of them, and everybody's happy. But what about this guy, Cornelius? Instead of you know, uh, hating these people, we read in verse 2, he was a devout man, a pious man. He feared God. Not only he feared God, but it seems his wife and his children and his servants had also this attitude about God and, and, and probably because of his leadership. He gave alms, many alms, to the Jewish people. Now, soldiers don't do that. They don't take the little bit of pay they, they get and give it to the people who they are oppressing, do they? That doesn't make any sense at all. And he prayed to God continually. That doesn't mean he you know, is always on his knees, but the, it literally means he prayed to God through all things. This man's a God-seeker. I want to tell you, he's not a Christian, he's not a Jew, he's not saved. If he had died at this moment, he would have been lost. Okay, that's very clear. I want to make that absolutely clear. Let's turn in our Bibles over to... Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll pause on that, but I'm, I hope I'll come back to that to prove to you. He's not saved at this point. He needs to be saved. Okay, But there's something about this guy that he's going to get saved. Now, what is it? Uh, well, just kind of make a list here of these characteristics. A man who fears God. There are, there are people today who fear God and are not saved, um, and there's people who don't fear God. Fear, fearing God, according to Scripture, is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of life and understanding. It's, it's beginning to realize that, that He is this great and awesome being, and we can't even guarantee our next heartbeat. We're nothing. And a God fear, there's God fears all over the world. Now, a lot of them aren't saved. Uh, they tend to be kind of religious people, some of them. I'd say even the majority, because they're seeking, they're trying, they're, 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 they're kind of reaching out. doesn't mean they've found God yet. I remember a few years ago, we had a, a neighbor. She was Jewish. She was a very strong feminist, very outspoken uh, woman. And uh, she started kind of reading the scriptures and seeking God. And this just went on for months and months and months and 
One day she was over our house and I said the wrong thing. I said, Elise, it's kind of hard to fight against God, isn't it? You know, because she just seemed like she wouldn't surrender to God. And boy, she went through the roof. She said, I've been trying so hard. You know, and she just kind of felt I was very insensitive to where she was at because she was seeking God and she just couldn't figure it out. She couldn't make it work. And maybe, maybe I was insensitive. I think there's people like that. I think some of these uh, Islamic fanatics um, may, be, may be very mixed up in terms of their violence, but uh, are God seekers. Maybe there's some people here today, unsaved. You, you kind of know that God's there and you want to be right with God, but you're not. And you know it. You know there's something really missing in your life. And, and you look at other people and you say, I wish I had the faith that they have. I've had people say that to me. Or, or you say, you know, I, I want to be right with God, but I'm just not religious. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm not religious either. Okay, I don't like religion. And I, I, like, I like churches like this where just people get together. I don't like places that have all the, the trappings and, and rituals and all that stuff. I don't need that. Uh, people say, well, I just don't have faith. Well, if, I want to say faith is not some kind of mystical thing that you're driving down the highway and one day, you know, like God sends a fastball and hits you in the head and you, and you got faith. But that's not faith. Uh, faith is, is a persuasion. Actually, the New Testament word for faith has its root in the Greek word pytho, which means to be persuaded or to be convinced of something. Now, I want to say something to those who may be more of a uh, Reformed background here. I don't believe anybody can believe in God and be saved. I don't, I don't believe that you can just make up your mind, I'm going to believe in Jesus and be saved. I believe without God's help, you'll never figure it out. I mean never. You can come here for a thousand years, you can memorize the Bible, and you still won't figure it out till God helps you. And I want to tell you, he doesn't help everybody. He doesn't help everybody. No one can come to me, the Lord Jesus said, unless the Father draws him. I remember in Matthew chapter 18, when Peter confessed who Jesus was, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember what Jesus said to him? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. I think God has to open up your mind to understand who Jesus is. And if you don't understand who he is today... You better ask God, because I can't do it, and nobody else here can. That is something God has to do to open up your mind. Now, you might say, well, then I just got to wait around until he opens up my mind. You know? And if he doesn't open up my mind, you're telling me it's hopeless. Well, I'm not exactly saying that, because I look at a guy like Cornelius. His mind wasn't opened up yet. He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't saved. He didn't get it. But what's he doing? He's doing what he can do. He fears God. And he's praying to God continually. He's a God seeker. You can seek God. You, in fact, you're here. You know, I'm always telling the wrong people. The people I should be talking to, the people who aren't here. You know, but you are here, and that means something. That means, to some extent, you're a God seeker. You got out of bed this morning, and you, you know, brushed your teeth and combed your hair and put on some clothes, and you're here. That means something. It may not mean a whole lot, but but you're here. Okay. And, and this is the kind of guy Cornelius was. He was a man who was seeking God. And watch what happens to a God-seeker in Scripture. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, 
what hour would be the ninth hour? It's about uh, 6 p.m. or something. Does that sound about right? 3 p.m. That sounds better. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come to him and said to him, Cornelius. Notice there's some interesting facts there. It is daytime. This isn't a middle of the night thing. And he clearly saw in a vision. This isn't just kind of like, you know, some fuzzy thing like, you know, a shadow on a wall. But he, he clearly sees with his eyes in a vision, an angel from God. The word angel means messenger. Check this out. God sent a messenger from heaven down to earth to a man named Cornelius, and and he appeared to to Cornelius. Of all the the people on earth, I think at that time there was roughly, it was not a lot of people, 200 million is what I I believe is what they estimate. But it's still a lot of people. All those people, God's up in heaven, and he... Angel, come here. I want you to go down there and I want you to appear to Cornelius and this is what I want you to tell him. Get on it. And that angel shoots on down there and he appears to, to Cornelius in broad daylight. Now, just stop and think about that. What's going on here? Why? Anybody here have any angelic visions? Just willing to say they did? I didn't. I've never had this. But Cornelius, a Roman centurion, guy had probably killed hundreds of people, probably had been a very immoral man, very rough man, a drinker, brawler, who knows what else. Something happened in his life. He started seeking God, and the God of heaven sent a messenger to talk to this man. Now, would you like that? Well, I, I, normally speaking, I wouldn't, but if I was lost and seeking God and heading to hell to have an angel appear to me and, and talk to me from God, that'd be quite a privilege. So this angel comes down. And calls him by name. He knows who he is. And verse 4, fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. In other words, Cornelius, God has taken notice of you. All the people of the earth, God is listening to your prayers. And your alms... Those offerings that you have given to the Jewish people have registered up in heaven in the presence of God as being meaningful and significant. And now God is dispatching an angel to talk to you. That's amazing. Now, I'm not promising anybody here angels, but I'm promising you here, if you you get the principle behind this, God will speak to you the same way. Verse 5, and now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. I hope he is better at remembering details than I am. You know, get out your palm pilot and write that down. So he's got all this information. He says, you know, this is what you're to do. You get some of your men, Cornelius, and send them to the town of Joppa. And, and, and go find a guy named Simon. He's also called Peter. He's staying with a certain tanner. A tanner is a guy who takes hides of animals and turns them into leather that can be used, named Simon, another Simon, whose house is by the sea. Okay, They didn't have addresses and cell phones and email. So this is enough information. So, so what, what God, God is kind of very clearly here telling Cornelius what to do, but he does the same thing for certain people today. 
I'll tell you who those people are in a minute. He prompts us to do things. You know, you, know, you get this little prompting. I need to do something. I, need, I, I ought to read the Bible or I ought to go to church or I ought to ask my friend something. But sometimes we don't listen to that message from God. We just kind of sit on it. But look what Cornelius did. Verse 7, And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attention upon him. And after he explained everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. He got right on it. Okay, He, he didn't say, well, let me think about this. You know, I'm kind of busy today. There's a ball game on. I'm kind of tired. I'll pick it up tomorrow. No, he got... He got Looks like what? Two soldiers, and he got one of his one of his soldiers, who was like his personal bodyguard and attendant. Now, you know, why do you send that guy? Because that's your best guy. He ain't going to send some flake who he didn't trust. This is this is important, and so he takes his best guy, gets two more guys with him, three soldiers. I think they can handle this. The town isn't that far away, and he sends them right off. Okay, a man of action when it comes to important things about God. Now, we're, we're going to kind of skip around here because we, we don't have time to look at the whole story. But turn over to chapter 11 and verse 13. There's a little bit more about what happened here. Now, in chapter 11, what's happening is the Apostle Peter is retelling the story a little bit later. But he, he adds an important detail I want to point out. Verse 13 of chapter 11 uh, and he reported to us, this is Cornelius reported to Peter and the others, that he had seen an angel standing in his house saying, send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. Now look at verse 14. And he, that is Peter, shall speak to you words by which you will be saved, you and all your household. That's an amazing verse. This guy, Simon in Joppa, the angel is telling Cornelius, go get that guy. He's going to come back to you and he's going to tell you something. He's going to speak to you words by which you are going to be saved or be rescued or delivered from the punishment of hell and come into a right relationship with God. Now, when, when I was raised in the church I was raised in, I never heard that. I, I heard if you want to go to heaven... What you needed to do was to live an exemplary life. You needed to go to church. You needed to receive sacraments. You needed to die in a state of grace. You needed to do this and you needed to do that. Nobody ever told me that there's somebody who could speak to me words by which I could be saved. Think of that. That somebody could tell you something that would bring you salvation. That there would be information in those words that could change your eternal destiny. Do you believe that? Now, the fact that he had to, to hear this message that he might be saved, it doesn't take us too much to understand. Well, that means he's not saved when the angel came, right? I promised you that earlier. He's not a saved man. Though he gives alms, though he prays, though he's pious, though he fears God. And there's a lot of people like that on earth, very religious, very nice people who are going to hell because they haven't heard words by which they can be saved. Now, wouldn't you like to know those words? Okay, well, let's, let's, let's go back to chapter 10 and let's find out what those words were because there's some pretty important words. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 10, verse 21. And, and Peter went down to the men. These are the three men show up. And he said, Behold, I'm the one you're looking for. And what is the reason that you've come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, 
was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. Well, that's service. God is working to bring this message. And nothing, Jesus is not going to fail. This is going to happen. Something has happened where God saw Cornelius and he said, I'm taking care of this guy. His, his alms and his prayers, have, I, I see them, I hear them, I see his heart. I'm going to send an angel down there. I'm going to send soldiers. I'm going to get Peter. If we had time, we would have looked at what God was working on the other end, on Peter's life. And he's bringing them two together. And Cornelius is about to hear words by which he can be saved. Verse 23. And so he invited them in and gave them lodging. And the next day he rose and went with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. And he called together his relatives and close friends. He, here's a real, this guy's a leader, isn't he? This guy's no lazy kind of you know, guy. He, 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 starts, he, he started getting together all of his relatives, his friends, his servants. He's got the whole house packed with people because he believes a man is going to show up and speak to them a message by which they can all be saved. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and he fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter said, rise up. Peter raised him up, saying, stand up. I too am just a man. I like this because... That the man who's going to speak to the words to him is just a man. He's just a messenger like that angel. You, you, you realize that? That somebody who's just a regular person like you could speak to you words by which you would be saved. I, I think a lot of people have the conception, that misconception, that, you know, it's got to be some real religious person. It's got to be some guy in, like, gowns, you know, like some kind of monk and it's real mystical and weird because they're in touch with God. But Peter says, look, I'm just a, he was just a fisherman, okay? And he was, he was from a hick town in Galilee, okay? And, and he goes to this guy, and, and he's talking to a Roman centurion, a man of stature. And, and the centurion's down worship. He's saying, please get up. I'm just a, just a fisherman. I'm just a man. Verse 27, and he talked with him. He entered and found many people assembled. And he said to him, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I shall not call any man unclean or unholy. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And so I asked, for what reason? He didn't even know why he came. For what reason have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, to this hour, I was praying in my house. During the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also Peter, to come to you. He is staying in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. And so I sent to you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we're all here, present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Well, that's kind of interesting. There's some people say, you know, God just chooses who's going to heaven. And if you're not in that group, forget it. Just forget it. You don't even have a hope. Peter's saying, look, I'm, I'm just talking to a, a Roman, a Gentile, who's had a message from God 
And he's concluding from that, if, if God is talking to guys like this, then the message we have uh, is not restricted just to the Jewish people, but it's for the Gentiles also. And he says here to, to him, verse 35, but in every nation, and note this really carefully because this applies to you, in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So who's God willing to save? It says, in every nation, doesn't matter if you're an American or an Iraqi or a Mexican or a Peruvian, even if you're an Irishman, <laughs> in every nation, the man who fears him. Now, now it's getting a little more restrictive here. Okay? Your nationality doesn't matter, but your heart does. Okay? You need to be like Cornelius, a God-fearer. You need to be a seeker of God. You need to have a heart that wants God and wants to have a right relationship with God, whatever it costs. Well, you say it might cost me money. Well, that didn't stop Cornelius. He was given he was given his his earnings to the the people that they had conquered. He was praying continually. I, I run. Well, you know, life's really busy. I'm so busy. Well, stop being so busy. Your soul's at stake. Turn off the TV. Throw away the sports page. Your soul is at stake. What are we talking about here? You say, well, you know, I've got a busy job. Quit. Tell the boss I'm going home. I've got to deal with my soul. I've got to talk to God. You know, I could die any minute. Any man who fears him and does what is right. Now, we have to kind of pause here because it's not saying a person who's, who's good. Okay? That isn't what it means by doing what is right. What it means is a, is a person who's trying to please God. He's trying to please God. It, there's nobody going to get to heaven because they're so good. There's no good people in heaven. But there are God-fearers in heaven and, and people who, who tried to please God. Now, I want to just emphasize this so much. You don't get to heaven by pleasing God, but if you try to please God, he takes notice of you and he'll save you. Okay? I know when I first heard the message of Jesus Christ, I was living in immorality. I couldn't change my life. I was a sinner. But I could stop doing what I was doing. Now, some people say, oh, no, you can't. Oh, yes, I could. <laughs> oh, yes, I could. People who stop drinking, fighting, breaking the law, living in immorality every day. And they, don't have, they don't do it for spiritual reasons. They do it because they don't want to do it anymore, for whatever reason. And if you have sin in your life right now, you can't clean up your whole life, reform your life, and be found acceptable to God. But you can fear God. And you can stop doing some of those sins you're doing with God's help if you want to. He says, in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. You know, for me, it would been taking that top thing, the top sin in my life and saying, am I willing to do God's will in this area? I really couldn't. I couldn't change the lust and the sin in my life, but I could, I could at least say, God, I am willing if you'll give me the strength I'm willing to live life the way you want me to live. Verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. You yourselves know the things which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism of John, which John proclaimed. He, he's, he's, he's kind of getting to the point really quick because he knows Cornelius is, 
He's been living there in Judea, and uh, it wasn't that long ago that Jesus was was crucified. We're, we're probably now in Acts chapter 10. It's probably maybe like seven, eight years or something like that. It's not not very long. You you know of Jesus of Nazareth and how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he set about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness. And through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. This is a message of salvation. These are the words which the angel said, you will hear by which you will be saved that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins. He was raised on the third day, and whoever believes in Him receives forgiveness of their sins. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out also upon the Gentiles. And they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. While, while Peter was explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to be saved. He hadn't even finished. And already Cornelius had been saved and had received the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of God. His, his mind was opened by God to receive and understand that message. When As fast as Peter could explain it, Cornelius was getting it and believing. Now, why Cornelius? Well, we, we read about in verse 35 that any man who fears God and does what is right is welcome to him. He was a God-fearer. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. His heart was prepared and ready to receive this message. Conversely, if he wasn't, Peter could have told him the exact same words and nothing would have happened. Nothing would have happened. Because God had to open up his mind and give him the light to believe. We say, well, to whom will he do that? To those who will repent to those who will seek God and fear God, God God's willing to deal with you. He's not, he's not playing peekaboo. He's not, this isn't like, you know, let's take them all out in the forest and lose them kind of thing. What's life about? Life is about a people, human race, who rebelled against God and a God who loved us enough to not give up on us but to send His beloved Son into this world and to send His Holy Spirit into this world to convict us of our sin who's given us each a conscience that we can know what's right and wrong has given us the Bible to tell us the truth. And now God just waits. And whenever he sees a man or woman, even a child, who, who just says, God, I'm a sinner. And I want to be right with you. And I fear you. I, I don't want to die in the condition I'm in. 
And I'm willing to do your will. I, I want to do what's right. I want to be like these Christians that I know. To that person, God brings the gospel and he gives them the ability to believe it and they will be saved. Amen. Now, I hope there's somebody here today like that. Uh, maybe even as we just read through this brief summary of what the gospel is, maybe, maybe it just clicked for you. Maybe you're not ready for that. Maybe you're still at the stage you just haven't made up your mind, you know, uh, that you really want to have God over your life. I, I know some of the brothers here know our, our good brother, Gene Gibson. He used to illustrate it this way with a set of keys. I don't have very many keys, but, you know, keys kind of represent authority in, in your life, ownership, and the ability to take possession of things. And, you know, the keys in your life could also represent just your life in general, your finances, your relationships, your, your recreation, your time, your money, just everything. Repentance is saying, God, I, I, want, I, I want to just put, put all control in, into your hands. And I want, I want to get right with you, whatever it takes, whatever changes you want to make. Jesus said, if any man is willing to do God's will, he shall know whether the teachings of God or whether I speak for myself. In other words, he'll have the light to believe. God wants to save you. But it starts with Repentance. That's why Jesus, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the, the very first words of Jesus preached in the Gospel of Mark were repent and believe the good news. God is declaring to men everywhere that they should repent, that they, should, uh, they, they need repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And every person here is in, in one, of the, one of three places. Either you need to repent, and if you repented, you need to believe. Maybe, maybe we haven't gone over the gospel enough here. Maybe if today, if you're saying, I am repentant, but I'm not saved, stay afterwards. We'll be happy to stay here and explain it to you further. Okay, you say, well, I'm rushed. Well, get on your cell phone and cancel it. I think your soul is worth more than whatever, whatever it is. And then there's some people here who have repented and have believed. And like Cornelius, they're saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the simple gospel and the wonderful gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful God you are that you would look down from heaven upon this just little speck flying through space and, and would see what's in our hearts and would respond to those who would fear you and seek you. And that you would send into this world your Son to die for us that we could be right with you. Lord, we, we cannot fathom what this means. But we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.